Thanks for joining me for the Pray for Micah podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review, and check out my YouTube channel and follow me on social media. Pray for Micah Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Pray for Micah podcast. And now your host, Micah Chrisman. Welcome to the Pray for Micah podcast, where we explore art, activism, spirituality, and our cosmic insignificance slash significance. I'm here with Layla Zadie, dear friend Layla, um, and she is a Pakistani-American master of social work student and climate justice organizer. She loves traveling, eating good food, playing tennis, and roller skating. Um, she was raised in Joplin, Missouri, and now lives around the corner from me here in the Northeast. And uh, yeah, we met each other through working at Alive and Well Communities. You were a um, uh, AmeriCorps Vista. Oh, you remembered. I was yeah. like, what is it again? I did a lot of things there, so it's okay. <laughs> you were just the Swiss Army woman of... <laughs> All the things we did in Aww. Kansas City. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was fun working with you. Uh, if anyone wants to check out, we uh, partnered with folks and we did a, a campaign called Life KC. Yeah, See? that was fun. You, yeah. You can go to lifekc.org where we caught a bunch of, or we recorded a bunch of stories. Yeah. Local activists and stuff. So, Layla, Aww. welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me, Mike. I feel so special that you invited me to your awesome podcast so yes. yeah i'm getting the celebrity treatment over here you know all this makes me feel like very important <laughs> so i appreciate it and it's fun oh yeah uh next time i'll have the makeup artists and yeah i I'll... am a little disappointed i was expecting full <laughs> hair makeup and an outfit picked out oh yeah i thought about it. i was like you were like texting me you're like don't take too many pictures i'm not i'm not i'm like oh we're video recording this and i was like i have no clothes i could offer her if she wanted yeah. <laughs> You want a baggy shirt to wear? Yeah, <laughs> that's a look now. So honestly, yeah, Micah, I, I like your shirt, actually. Thank you. This yeah. is a summer summer shirt, Micah. I was like, I need a couple new shirts for yeah, the summer. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so, still wearing all black, so I'm not adapted. Hey, it's the sign of the times, right? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> just let me wear black. Let me just black out yeah. my Facebook cover. Just, yeah. <laughs> just let me just let everyone know that everything's just... <laughs> not good. The vibes are bad. That's why I, I I have to be like, let me wear some paisley to make myself feel better. You know, I think it works though. <laughs> you know, like when we honor our, you know, our appearance, like that sometimes seems shallow, but like it works. Yeah, yeah. I don't. You know, you've experienced it. I like working from home, um, but sometimes you know, it can feel very low energy going to work. Exactly. Yep. Going to my desk, wearing my gym shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. I still got that eye crust in my <laughs> eye from sleeping. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like not in any headspace to work right now. Right. But I slept that extra 20 minutes instead of getting ready because <laughs> I work from home. Yeah. Oh, I feel that 100%. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes I'm like, to feel better yeah like i want to have a good morning i'll like actually shower get ready for work air quotes yeah no <laughs> but that's good yeah. yeah i know that like i'm more productive when i do things like that and yet 
And yet. And yet. <laughs> the mornings where I'm just pouring the coffee in and logging on as quick as yeah. I can because I have a meeting in 10 minutes. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I feel that. I mean, love that life. So what's been new? How's your summer treating you? My summer is treating me well. I am taking summer classes at UMKC. I am a social work student, graduate student, as you mentioned in that lovely bio that yeah. I wrote. Um, it was a great bio, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's definitely, um, <laughs> I deserve an award. Pulitzer's coming my way. Yeah. Roller skating. I mean. Yeah, I got I, it all. I got the serious stuff. I got the, like, my hobbies. And yeah, and, I, and my connection to you. So I really tied it all together. But, yeah, I've been taking summer classes and, um just trying to spend more time like in doing taking care of myself i did quit my job and i i was it's hard to work and be a student and so i'm just sure you know focusing on school but also been doing organizing work i'm a organizer with sunrise movement kansas city and shout out to sunrise yeah it's always a sunrise so yeah we just i've been doing that and i've been feeling pretty good about my time and yeah, I mean, it's really hot, though. Yeah. And I know it's it's one of those things where I know it's always been hot, but it, it just feels hotter and hotter <laughs> all the time. But maybe I'm just, like, thinking about the climate crisis all the time. Right. So I'm like, is it really hotter than it normally is? Or, <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. Or am I just noticing it more? So there's that. How's your summer been? Good. Also hot. I If people probably can't, they might hear the little whirring in the background. I decided to put a fan in the, <laughs> the recording yeah. room because I was like, half the time I record these podcasts, uh, by the time I set up all the lights and do everything, I'm like sweating. I told Layla, I was like, I have to basically wear a different outfit for when I sit up and then change because otherwise I've just sat down and just look like a Yeah. Well, I feel that. I feel like mess. I can't move that much in my house either. Like at least like from 1 to 6 p.m. It's just too hot to be moving around too much. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have blackout curtains. I'm just like, I feel like it looks like a depressed drug den sometimes <laughs> in my house. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm like, this is really the efficient way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like no, for sure. For sure. But going back to the whole, you know, do we notice climate change um, in my 33 years of existence on this planet? I'm an old, wise person now. <laughs> um, I do feel like I notice, like, at least for sure, like, the snow levels. Like, I don't, like, summer's just always hot for me. I'm just, like, I tell people, like, basically from, like, end of May till mid-October, I'm just sweating. <laughs> you have sweaty Micah yeah. and not sweaty Micah. Exactly. There, and then I, like, fully hit my stride when it's, like, brisk and chilly outside. And everyone's like, it's so cold, I can't move. And I'm like... Oh, yeah. This is like flannel weather, happy yeah. Micah time. But I remember like, yeah, as a kid, like grow up on the farm, there'd be snow drifts six feet like on our mm. driveway. Like if we were planning for a snowstorm, it was like we were not going to get out of our like driveway out of our house or wow. our outer road. And we still get snow, obviously, but I never see that amount of snow. Like, I'll, you know, like it might be like a foot max, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's weird because they're saying that there are farmers who've been farming for 30, 40 years here in like the States and like Kansas and stuff who are starting to notice also like these <laughs> changes yeah, in weather I mean, and patterns. The, the effects are here. I think up in an air conditioned home for a lot of my life, <laughs> I aired and heated home. I mean, in the sense that like, I'm not sure. And coming up to Kansas city, there's way more snow up here 
in the winter than southern Missouri, I feel. Yeah. Though we did get we did get pretty nasty snow and ice storms, but in some maybe it's not as intense now. So it's hard to say though. I obviously know that like it's definitely getting hotter. Yeah. It gets hotter earlier. I mean, like the weather fluctuations in winter are scary. Um, we had a tornado in December. I mean, not here, but in Illinois and eastern Missouri, like in December. I mean, yeah, things are changing. So yeah, it's interestingly. I don't know. Maybe there's a future where kids don't see snow as often. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty bizarre to think, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making this up, but someone was saying basically at some point, like the Southwest will just keep creeping up like the state, like Whoa. basically like Oklahoma and like most of Kansas, like Kansas will start looking like parts of the Southwest after like 80 years, hundred years from now, like yeah, maybe sooner. I don't know. But like, yeah, basically, if you already live in Arizona, you're just going to be roasting <laughs> to death. Oh, my gosh. You were literally a boiled egg. That's so scary. Yeah. And, like, you know, I've been talking to my friends. We've all noticed this, like, windshield phenomenon. Have you heard Have you heard about this? Uh-uh. So, growing up, did you ever notice that, like, you go on a road trip? It didn't even have to be very far. Like, you know, driving an hour or two, and there'd be bugs all over your windshield. Yes. Uh-huh. And I have not experienced that. Really? Recently, have you? When you think about it, have I you had to go do the thing, the squeegee at the gas station? Yes. So many bugs. Have oh you had to do gosh. that recently, though? No, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. Actually, if you Google this, I saw a Wikipedia page. It's like windshield phenomenon. Like, there's less insects out. Wow. When you drive. This is I, weird. I need to fact check that, but like, yeah, because someone said, I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I recently went, like, you know, I drive to Joplin to see my, my family pretty often. I have never had to squeegee the windshield. Yeah, oh gosh. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't think of like, I mean, I went on a fishing trip with my dad and my brother a few weeks ago. It wasn't that bad, though. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about, though. It's just like your like whole infested. windshield. Like you can't, you can push the button as much as you want and it just smears the bug guts like <laughs> <laughs> just up and down the window. And it's like, this sounds like, uh, you know. Something like a weird, you know, crack in the simulation kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, like this sounds like, I don't know if you've been seeing that lately, but I guess CERN, you know, CERN, the whole Hydron Collider over. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, there's all these conspiracies the about. The... Okay. Is it the one that found the Higgs boson? Yeah, I, okay. I think or so. Or did they find the gravitational waves? Whatever. Something, something. They're smashing particles and okay, yeah. doing crazy things and. There's all these conspiracies that every time they they fire it up, basically, for lack of terms, I don't I don't understand what they're doing. Um, that it basically creates new Mandela effects or like a, like glitches oh in the gosh. world, like that literally could be the windshield phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm picturing. I'm just I like mean, when you yeah. said that, I'm just like, okay, so there's no bugs anymore. Oh, CERN, yeah, CERN, <laughs> <laughs> like all over. <laughs> no, but it's like bizarre, right? I mean, it's it is bizarre, like. I would think, I don't know. Or it's just global warming. Right. Yeah, or just weird effects happening. I recently watched that movie, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh my gosh. Love Hand clap it. for that movie. Yeah, that best, I, seriously, like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yes. I, and I'm like, you know, there's that part where they're talking about like, don't you sense something's off, like something's off in the multiverse, something's, and, and you, your coffee doesn't taste right, or like all the, like everything's just off, and I'm like, yeah, the, there's no more bugs on the windshield. Like, maybe that's a, that's, yeah, maybe that's a crack in the simulation. I think you convinced me. <laughs> but you're right. That's like 
definitely become like one of my top 10 movies of all. Yeah. Like I just, I've watched it twice and I'm just like, uh, just, you just see new things yeah, in same. it. Same. I'm like, oh, I want to watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I've seen it twice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, I just, I don't know. Can, I guess we shouldn't do spoilers, but like <laughs> it was really good. And I just appreciated so much of it. You know, I'm the child of immigrants and mm. it was, um, yeah, just like imagining new lives, like what would all of our lives look like had certain decisions been different. And yet it was also so universal, right? Like I love that it wasn't yes. just like, just about their culture identity, being a Chinese family. Like it was, you know what I mean? Like it was just yes. felt very universal and I, I love that. And yeah, I just also love that like they experience the microaggressions, but it's not like they have to, it's like the center of the movie where they like experience a hate crime or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like it just really felt like a genuine family drama, like a fam, like you're mm -hmm. really looking at this family's like life. And I just love that. So, yeah. yeah would recommend go check Highly out recommend. everything everywhere all at once. And yeah, I, you know, yeah. Again, we'll not put out spoilers, but it, just as a fact of like these moments of like, what is my significance? It ties very well into my theme for this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> like, it does. And like, there's like my, one of my favorite seeds is like when they're both like switched to an, a universe where they're both rocks. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and they're just like sitting next to each other. Like, Oh, well, it looks like we ended up in a world where we're both rocks and they're yeah. just like, what is happening? Like, it's okay. Don't, don't be a rock. Just, just be a rock. And, yeah. uh, I don't know. That just spoke to me at a very visceral level because it's like, yeah, we're all looking for that purpose and significance of why we're here. And um, how would you do that if you ended up in a universe where you're a rock? You would just be a rock. And yeah. so what does that mean? I don't know. In my mind, yeah, how do, what like does that mean to be Adapting to your circumstances like and finding meaning in your circumstances. I mean, the message of the movie was pretty simple in that way. Sure. Like, yeah. And yet it just delivered it in such a powerful oh like way and like just so human and yeah i think i know another like thing i gathered from that movie was like you know hope and optimism are like a, you know it's like maria macaba says like it's a discipline it's it's mm. something that it's a strength but it's not just something you it means something you have to practice and um yeah, in every situation, every universe, like, they kind of have to find that. And, like, they're still sitting there. They could sit there and wonder, like, could, would my life have been better in some mm -hmm. other circumstance? Or they could just accept the circumstances they've been given. It was very existential, I mean, but oh, very man. powerful. And, yeah, I don't know, it just really resonated with me, especially, like, given all that's going on. Like, I don't know. And I, th I love, like, something that Dad in the movie says, like, you think my naivety is is a weakness but it's actually a strength basically you're like it's it's my mm. it's how i fight it's how i fight what i've been given basically you know right i just thought that was very powerful but yeah but even if you're a rock like maybe there's some there could be a piece yeah. in like yeah like being i don't know again just the metaphor of yeah just what does it mean to be human like we can't accept sometimes um like it's okay to just be uh, this organic matter and that mm. it is sacred in, in itself. Right. And, yeah. you know, if we were a rock, <laughs> we would just be like, man, that feels even more mundane or even more pointless. Cause yeah. I'm just, you know, <laughs> yeah. element, uh, you know, earth 
rare earth elements, whatever, rocks and dirt and dust and and yet our bodies are made of that stuff. Yeah. That's why stardust, you know? Yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, and they were talking about like, really, the universe has spent way more time without humans, really. Mm. And it's, you know, or they were like, most of the multiverses actually are like this, where everyone's just a rock. Right. And like, what a fortunate world we live in that we get to exist at this yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. That, that was, no, but like, actually, what you just said was like, what, I mean, I guess, I guess it's a spoiler, but a spoiler <laughs> alert. They all find meaning in their existence. And one of the pieces was the fact that you're just here at this moment is like a gift. Right. Yeah. It reminds me of like, <laughs> I mean, the, sh- the movie is just in general very trippy. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's got everything. Action, yeah. love, humor, all that stuff. But it feels kind of like you're on a psychedelic trip, you know? I know. Yeah. Like and, and the first th- time I watched it, the first 20 minutes, I was just like, Oh my god! It's a it's a lot. Like yeah. I've I've watched it with somebody. They were like, I, we only watched like half of it. We're like, that's it's just so dense. We had to just like pause. But it is just kind of funny. Like if you have those kind of experiences, psychedelic experience, it's like it all comes down to you know all these revelations people have. They're like, I am one with the universe. Everything is is about acceptance and love for. And it's <laughs> it seems so profound. And it's like yeah, it's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, you really needed a psychedelics to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> did you need, did you really? No, probably not. But, you That's know. Hilarious. Yeah. And I think like actually watching it the second time, it was like, there's so much going on in the movie, but it is like pretty simple. And, and yeah. that was, actually was like comfort. That's why I really rec- do recommend you watch it again. Cause it's, it was much more like wholesome and comforting the second time. Cause I was like, okay, yeah, I get, I get it. And actually it's like slightly predictable. I mean, I had seen it before, but like, so I guess it, of course it's predictable but it's just like oh yeah i mean the point is just what we're saying like yeah yeah i liked one of the lines he said where um the dad he's like you know i know you talk down about a world where we just did taxes and laundry together and he's like but just know like i would have loved being in that world i with know you. and like i know because like you're watching it's tears. like oh yeah like if i could live in a world where i'm a famous person or i'm doing this and that yeah and we just you know Hey, there's a beauty in just even the mundane of like yeah. finding a partner. So we just like, Hey, we can just do taxes and laundry together. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I know that was very resonating. Cause I feel like I used to have this image of my life in which I was super successful. I mean, I was very attached to that, you know, like being really successful and I'm not saying I've shed that entirely, but yeah, yeah. Just like, I don't know. Just really, yeah, it was, it was very resonated with me cause I'm, trying to take steps to not be so like obsessed with that and obsessed is the right word but just like so attached to that and i think sure. yeah that that really hit, hit home and again like i think an immigrant story is so such a good one to use to convey that message again it's a universal message but like just thinking about my parents too like yeah. yeah, just thinking about, like, that is a pressure they have, and it could have gone a different way, you know? Mm. And so, I don't know. I really want my parents to see. I've been telling them, they're just like, uh, what? Do you, <laughs> what? It's, like, action. It's multiverse. Like, what? My mom's like, no violence. I don't really like violence. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Just, like, watch the movie. 
know. Yeah, my brother sat my parents out apparently tried to watch it with them and they had no interest in the movie. They're just like Yeah. Especially some of the weird fight scenes that involve butt plugs and some weird stuff. They're oh just my like, gosh. What the hell are you making me watch? Again, sorry for the spoilers, just go watch the movie. It's been out for a minute. So Yeah, I don't deal feel with that it. bad. Yeah, deal with it. Yeah, deal with it. Yeah, don't listen. You could have yeah, skip forward if you Yeah, you can it. skip this episode of Micah's podcast <laughs> if you don't want to hear it. Well, can we talk more about your family? Like, yeah, 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 just your journey because you said you grew up in Joplin. So yeah, so you know, I was born in New Jersey. My parents immigrated there from Pakistan when before I was born. I should really know the year, and I don't. <laughs> I I think it was just before I was born. I don't really remember. This is pretty bad, but um, a lot of my, you know, my dad. My parents met in med school in in Lahore, Pakistan, and then they moved to New Jersey through basically like my dad got a green card because when his dad got a green card and he applied before he was 21, like, and he, it was kind of lucky in the sense like he skipped a couple of grades in school somehow. I don't know. The school system there is just, I think a little more lenient about stuff like that and went to med school at like 18 or 19. And so it was like done with med school. Holy cow. Which I think is a British system of education. So like that is more common there. Like you kind of do med school as like an undergrad kind of situation. Maybe usually it's a little longer, at least in the UK, I think. But regardless of that, he, uh, <laughs> that's a hard, so hard to tell the story. Cause I'm like, sure. you can just go down like this rabbit hole. Of, no, again, yeah. why that movie's so resonant. Cause I'm like, wow, all these little things that just happened to line up that my parents mm. were able to move here. And then, Actually, my and then they, my dad did his residency on the East Coast, um, and he, from what I hear, and it's interesting. It's he won't always super talk openly about. It. He's just like, well, it's really hard to find a job, and re- more recently, he's had gotten close to at least admitting that like it's discrimination because at that time, mm-hmm. a lot of like foreign educated doctors were moving to the U.S. I mean, they still do, but. Um, he just couldn't really find a job easily. Um, not to say it was super hard. He basically, I think, panicked and got a job offer in like Joplin, Missouri, a rural town, and wanted to and just accepted it and began practicing medicine there. And he's um, he's like a family doctor, but is specialized in pulmonology and you know ICU critical care. So it's a very high need. You know, he's one of the two first like or at least the second, I believe, like lung specialist in that area. Really? In in Joplin, which um, is, Joplin is like a town of 50,000 people in southwest Missouri. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not quite a suburb. It's actually like the the hub of like all these rural communities around it. So Right. Kind of like Springfield y- or like yeah. it's like a major area where people can get access to Right, exactly. Because there's two hospitals actually in Joplin, which not a big town so anyway um then my mom did her residency in psychiatry uh in st louis and yeah another thing i'm always like why didn't we live in st louis and then (laughs) but then she came back to joplin and they've lived there since then so i grew up there and then went to college in arkansas in conway arkansas at hendrix college and then what was that like yeah, so, you know, I majored in religious studies, um, which I never thought I would major in. I thought I was going to do, you know, political science. I was very, like, politically involved as a teenager in Joplin, even though it was really conservative, you know. I remember being, like, one of few Democrats 
I mean, at that time I, I worked a lot for Democrats and just being, I don't know, just that was the thing. And, but then I got to Conway and I was like going to a liberal arts school, got to take classes and all sorts of things, which is what I wanted and kind of discovered, like I actually was interested in learning more about religion and the connection between religion and politics and society. And that was really cool. And I really liked Arkansas because it's so beautiful. Oh, it's, it's so nice. gorgeous. And I, yeah. I knew I wanted to go to like, like a small, like, you know, tight knit liberal arts school. But I think I had romanticized it because I thought it would be this like progressive oasis that Joplin wasn't. And obviously quickly learned like going to a school with, you know, 85% white people who were from the South. Like, I mean, it was, it could be challenging at times, like, you know, but then, I'm still really grateful for that experience because yeah, I got to explore outside. I got to go camping and, you know, canoeing and like actually Arkansas, when I think about it growing up in Joplin was like, my parents weren't really outdoorsy, but I got to hear like all my friends would go there for like to do outdoorsy stuff. And I, I remember really wanting to do that. So it was cool. And, and then it, I think it really set me up after that. Cause I went to live in Japan for two years and taught English on the Japan exchange and teaching program. And, that was really cool. And so I think it kind of like weirdly prepared me for that. Yeah. Even though it wasn't that far from home, but yeah. Japan's as far away from home as you can yeah, get. Yeah. Yeah, it is. For, it, from going from Arkansas all the way there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it really was. And then I came back in the, and you know, it was in the middle of the pandemic and my sister had been living in New York for eight years and she moved to Joplin with her husband as well. And we all just kind of like reconvened, <laughs> like <laughs> set up base camp there. And um, I kind of struggled, you know, I think one thing about being, I had, I'd originally looked so forward, like was looking so forward to going home and like being in my early twenties back in America, obviously. And then it kind of, that dream went to the trash can with the, the pandemic. pandemic and I was in Joplin and it was really frightening because no one there was really taking it seriously. Mm. And I just want to be close to my family. So I actually just moved to Kansas city as like a, just like it was convenient, you know, it's two and a half hours North, but still a city. Right. And not as far as St. Louis. Yeah. Not yeah. as far as St. Louis, even though like I kind of prefer St. Louis. Oh, don't oh, say no. that on my podcast. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> St. I Louis is cool. I've, I've had a change of heart towards it. over. <laughs> Having a job, you know, that's based there for a little bit, you know. and This is more to do as a tourist, I think. I don't know what that means in terms of living there, obviously. But yeah, it is far. So, far from Joplin. Fun fact. Did you know that Kansas City was originally the spot they were going to put the arch? Really? Yeah, it was supposed to be the gateway to the west because it was the furthest west, more developed city than wow. St. Louis. And they literally just chose St. Louis because whoever had whoever they were buying the property from or whatever to do it, it was cheaper. And so they just I mean, but it's right on the river. Like it kinda No, it's beautiful there. I'm just saying going back to the multiverse thing in another universe, Kansas City got the arch over by our side of the Missouri River. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, they both I'm, have. I mean, as a kid, like we would go to St. Louis a lot because my mom like was doing her residency when I was in elementary school or like I don't know, a little bit before then, and 
I just loved going to the arch. Like I f- would just cry and cry and make my parents like, please drive me past it or go sit on the lawn. And like my older sister who's six years older than me was just like, oh my gosh, why are we going again? <laughs> and I'd just be like, yes, I think I'd, maybe I have fond memories. That's why. Did you actually ever go up in the arch, like in the elevator? Yeah, thing? yeah, like back when you could do that. Yeah, like all the time. They don't do it anymore? I don't, maybe. They theoretically do it still, but oh. every time I've gone, it's either under construction, maintenance, and yeah. I'm just like, well, I guess I'll never go up in the little elevator thing that goes to the Yeah, top. and it's crammed, so maybe it's a safety concern? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure with the pandemic and stuff. Where mm. I really want to go is check out... Um, city museum or whatever yeah yeah me that's too that's supposed to be a big i haven't been there playground can, yeah yeah thing. yeah all right Michael, when we go to st louis <laughs> all right let's go yeah let's go get the city museum <laughs> to climb on an adult jungle gym it's like a whole whatever multi-complex like right they've got like all this stuff yeah yeah, like, yeah. it's like a playground for adults mm-hmm. can, that's i guess awesome. kids are there too but <laughs> there's I, so the things i've seen a lot of adults are like climbing these yeah structures and there's tunnels yeah. and secret corridors and it that just sounds fun yeah see like i just think st louis like it's got stuff to do it's okay it's all right i won't i don't hate you anyone. for saying it <laughs> i don't i don't hate you i just don't totally agree with you right no. you grew up in kansas city right <laughs> yeah well, well grain valley yeah i grew up on a farm about 30 minutes outside the city and so but yeah when after school and i moved to the city it was like kind of re-engaging the city i've always lived around but never really like lived in and got to so it felt like learning a new city yeah kinda. i mean like i said my family would go to the, the plaza and go whatever westport mm-hmm. or different places sometimes but yeah it's did de- you ever have like a vision that you live somewhere further away or did you already you all always kind of think you live here well kind of during my um ministry days where I was Mm -hmm. like looking at basically maybe being pastor or missionary. Yeah. I had like ideas or thoughts of like either working for a different, for a church outside of the state or moving to a different country altogether for like a year or two. Haven't done either of those. Yeah. (laughs) Mainly just because I went through whole faith deconstruction in college and that's realize good. how much yeah oh yeah yeah i'm sure i don't know i, uh, I want to go back to your religious studies yeah that yeah yeah you for did because sure. i'm sure once you kind of are in that world and you have the veil kind of lifted and you realize like i remember one of the key moments that was like one of the sparks of like challenging my systems of belief that i just kind of been raised in or you know was um kind of on a trajectory to be a part of was writing a research paper in grad school it was one of my classes and originally I was thinking about doing it as a thesis topic it was something I was originally exploring I ended up doing some of those writing about um because Ferguson was happening so I decided to focus on the communication and social movement rhetoric of Ferguson after Mike Brown was killed but for one of my classes I wrote this big long like 40 page paper about um, the intertwining connections between the church, like Christian church, specifically in capitalism. And literally there was like these research articles and things I was reading like that, like 
they did hard research on and people basically have these categories of what they think is, makes a successful church or what they uh, perceive as a successful church. Yeah. And one of the things legitimately, one of the categories was having um, big screen TVs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, but who was surveyed? Do you not remember? I it's been so long. Yeah. I'd have to go back and read That's it. That's so fast. It I see so those are the kinds of things that always interested me about, you know, studying religion it was like that stuff. Like the anthropology of it. I mean, you right, know, exactly. like or just generally like why do people gravitate? What what is their like idea of yeah, like a the faith like in that way, physically in physical space because it right. tells you a lot about the values or like exactly. actually that tells you more about sometimes like where they're faith actually is <laughs> oh for sure and i came from like youth group and church experience where like the bigger the stage the more lights the more smoke machines I mean, it's like all Jesus that stuff camp, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's just yeah, yeah basically a big show right and that was always fascinating to me like being a muslim because you know i am muslim and i you know grew up in a muslim home i have a very different practice and vision of that so it's kind of in, you know i think it's be a good conversation from two different faith perspectives on what right. that means. But like, yeah, one of the things that I just was always surprised about was it just really felt yeah. Like, you know, when you're Muslim, you just like pray privately, like everyone shows up, but they're really praying privately Yeah, in a way They're praying all in a group. And certainly someone is praying like leading the prayer, but at least in my masjid, like my mosque growing up, there wasn't really like even a strong sermon culture. Like, and actually, we didn't have like a, you know, like a pat, like, or like an imam, like, mm-hmm. which, you know, like the leader of the, we didn't hire someone to do that. It was just like ro- a rotating role in the community. And it was just so, I was just very fascinated by like my peers who would talk about going to church or they'd be, invite me and they'd make it sound so exciting. And I'm like, this <laughs> sounds like a totally different universe, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I remember, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very different. Yeah. center stage and actually our mosque growing up was in a um my parents helped start a mosque in joplin like along with you know other muslims and it was originally housed in a former church what used to be a church and it's funny because you know there's this huge stage and altar but we would just have to like turn away from it because like you have to face like mecca when you pray so yeah. we just completely ignored its presence even though it was there i don't know it's just like <laughs> That's totally that's, different orientation in that space. So like, that's very interesting what you're talking about. Like, yeah, screens. And one time I visited a church in Arkansas. It's actually one of the first assignments I had to do for like the intro to world religions course. It was like going to a place of worship that you were unfamiliar with and hmm. like just writing about your experience. And I went to this like Pentecostal church. Oh, right. That's my people. Well, yeah. Oh my well, we weren't Pentecostal, but yeah. in that same vein. Yeah. yeah. And well, and I just remember there's like a credit card machine in the back. To make your donation. Okay. And I would just wow. like, and there were big screen TVs actually. And I remember the pastor was like talking about a giveaway. If you donate today, like you'll be put into a raffle for like all these awesome things. Like go to the <laughs> machine in the back. And I just was very surprised, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. I, I remember um, going on a mission trip to Moldova back in college and while we were there we visited an orthodox christian church like cathedral really Mm -hmm. and the pastor person we were meeting with there was baptist 
so he was not about anything we were experiencing but it's a it's a sight so that's why he took us like it's a beautiful kind of experience and as he's walk we're walking through he's explaining like there's these murals on the floor where there's like like a almost like a pathway in a circle that goes around the room and as you look around there's like basically the story of Christ from like birth to death to resurrection and was explaining how these old basically you know huge you know churches um the worship experience was the building like it wasn't mm-hmm. a stage and people it was like basically these artifacts you know that basically um you would do these prayer walks through the room uh, and like uh, as the as yeah. the priest is like um you know swinging this the smoke <laughs> yeah. altar thing you know and but it was just like this really beautiful thing to like see like yeah because i grew up basically in these churches that were warehouses they just like let's find a big box and yeah. put a stage and smoke machine and, and and we're all directing towards the worship leader or the pastor like you're saying a leader or people who are mm-hmm. gonna and again there's similarities in all of it but i just thought it was beautiful that like the actual message and like everything was symbol symbolized in the space it was symbolic and like like you were saying i guess the parallel with that you know with muslims like you know you change directions and you pray yeah. you know and yeah you're, you're i mean i think it's that. like having a ritual yeah that is not like it just st- kind of stands the test of time or something i don't know what's so powerful about that i mean i like that i like that you don't have to i always also thought it was interesting like you know, evangelical Christians around me growing up were very much about like having this super personal relationship with yeah, God. Like uh-huh. you have to talk directly and God says something back to you. And I remember being, it really made me like insecure about my faith because I was just like, I don't have that relationship. Like mm. I just do. It's more communal. It's yeah. more like a shared experience with people. Yeah. Versus- or like, and even if I'm praying alone with my parents or something like, I mean, I just know what to do. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I didn't, I could, I think I just rest on like, oh, I'm at peace. Yeah, or I'm at like, I am with my family or I'm just relaxed. I don't know, maybe it's like meditating for me. And and now I'm feeling like, oh, shoot, I don't like actually have a conversation with God all the time. But mm. and so it just made me. Yeah, I don't mean to like downplay. Well, it just was very different. I'll say <laughs> very different. Yeah. And that <clears throat> again, my whole stance is if whatever faith, belief or construct helps you to see outside yourself, to love other people. Mm-hmm. And if that means having a personal relationship with God, if that means having a box and a stage and it sounds yeah. <laughs> like it's not for me, but yeah. if that helps you take care uh, of other yeah. people in the environment, then cool. But if you're, you know, I'm going to worship God on Sunday in this thing and also fuck the environment and fuck yeah. other people. Like get I mean, away. Yeah, immigrants. And like, let's be honest. Like, there is a mission like what you're describing we're describing is like this business about it which certainly doesn't isn't just limited to christianity but in america it's right very much imbued with that and so it's yeah it's problematic oh. so what was your religious studies like yeah as far as did it open up thoughts about being muslim did it make you like connect with other people like i don't know just like what were some yeah. of the big learning points yeah no, that and, you felt you know i think it um so one of the problems too is like I was going to school, even though the school wasn't formally aligned with the Methodist church. I mean, Hendricks did have that history of being like a Methodist school. 
uh, not as the religious studies program certainly wasn't a seminary though many people some people go on to do that though not everybody um so i feel like i actually learned a lot about christianity and also just like the anthropology of religion you know what and there's always a questions in religious studies program like why does religious studies exist it's kind of a weird category because you know not in every society is like religion so separate from everything else that's a very like western mm-hmm. construct to think of religion as like this institutionalized category that you could study that's like kind of sep- you know like it actually right. emerges out of this idea of separation of church and state and secularism and it's like so it's even in the study you're like it actually broke down a lot of for me like actually what does it mean to even have like a category of study like that Mm. in and of itself is very academic and problematic that makes sense yeah totally um but i did learn a lot of cool things i mean i i studied i mean i kind of it's undergrad so it's very broad but like i was much more interested in religion and contemporary culture and uh, literature, I guess like just how do people creatively express their religion, but also like just power because I thought religion growing up for me. And that's kind of this journey I had the, like, I, I grew up as, you know, a Pakistani, I grew up as a, just a Pakistani Muslim in a very white Christian American conservative environment. And I thought I used to boil it all down to like political differences, right? Like literally just like, those people are Republicans and I'm a family that votes on a democratic ticket. And then I learned, realized later, like it's actually not so simple as that Mm. religion has a huge role in this. Um, Religion is a reason why like all these people don't like me, you know? Mm. And so, and they see Islam as a threat. So, I mean, it just really began to think about, you know, how does religion actually construct people's values, their morals in ways that don't just show up when they're at church or when they're, you know, doing their faith, but in their politics and the decisions they make and the community they envision. I mean, one of the most fascinating classes I took was um, cognitive linguistics and theology. And it was taught by a professor who used a cognitive linguistic approach to like interpret the Bible and just talked about like the construction of metaphors and like what that means, not just for like like this idea of like thinking of, for example, God as a father versus God mm. as a um, God as father versus like God as a judge or God as like, um, you know, God, I don't a lion. know. Yeah. yeah like like the, what are these things like actually inform? Um, and he would break it down as to like, you know, a com- you know, basically like a, I'm not even getting his terminology correct, but like, you know, authoritative versus like, you know, more compassionate or something like that. I don't know. Right. Um, basically, so I just like, yeah, I thought about religion in public life like that. I thought about religion. Um, I don't know. It just was very eye opening for me. And I remember getting judged a lot cause I had a very political mind. It's very like, you know, I'm very much into community organizing, changing the conditions of the world. And people were like, why don't you do policy? Why don't you do politics? And I'm like, we really need to talk about the faith communities too. And also just what does it mean to really believe in something? People take leaps of faith all the time. They take a leap of faith. Even when you think about the constitution, they think of it, they think of this aspiration. Yeah. Yeah, Like, like (laughs) and that can mean two different things. You can use that as a, you know, I don't know. It can mean many things, or you could be like, actually we should deconstruct that and totally and tear it down. And like, 
yeah so people do that all the time even with science they do that and so that was another cool thing is like just thinking of the way religion intersects with everything i'm rambling now landing the plane. hey you're but, rambling in the right space this, yeah. is, this, is, this is my jams this is this is what i love yeah. to like probe and yeah delve deep into because you talked about you know you've <clears throat> deconstructed your you know faith and the weird thing for me though is like i I feel like it allowed me a space to explore religion without getting personal. Mm. And it's still taking me some time to like break down that wall because I have a fear of sometimes doing that. Um, so it just kind of gave me the space to explore it without always having to like make it really personal, you know? Sure. Cause I, I think that's just hard sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I in school is very diff- diff- difficult to probe my faith um, in a non-personal way, and I, but I remember I took like a philosophy of religion class, <clears throat> very informative class, like very like it's the one of the only like it was just like an extracurricular class that I took because I just wasn't going to be a philosophy major or anything, but I was just like hey I'm yeah. interested in exploring this and like probably one of the things that like really stuck out to me was just um this idea of panentheism like not pantheism but p-a-n-e-n theism mm-hmm. this idea that all is in god mm. and um that just kind of created the right shift in my just like thinking the construct that we have in our heads of what is the divine what does god look like because like you said, it was always very much this personal relationship, a person, Jesus in my head, blue-eyed, white-haired. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Jesus, uh, never lived mind that he was from the Middle East and there are no You're white right. people in the Bible. <laughs> You're right. But it was just like, um, yeah, and the way that they talked about it as like a metaphor to explain pantheism, like in the book anyways that we were reading was, they actually used a story about Moses. So... I don't know who wrote the book, but I feel like they wrote it to like Christians. <laughs> to yeah. try like, but uh, there's like a story in the Bible where Moses um, says he wants, to, he like tells God, like, I want to see you. Like, I'd like to. And God basically is like, no human is able to look upon me and like live. Like, my glory is too powerful. It, it right. kills people. <clears throat> and uh, so God satisfies his request by like putting them in this like it says a cleft of a rock so like put them in this little wedge where the periphery and then god just passed by so that moses saw like just the trail like the backside of god and basically the metaphor i think i heard i mean it's so funny i just like peripheral like oh yeah i know that story because I don't know if it's in the Quran, but like obviously like the Quran Bible right. shares so much. And so then my parents were always okay with me watching like Veggie Tales and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't so that I'm funny? Like, oh, yeah. Or there was that movie Moses. Like maybe it was like animated or something and I saw that. I feel the same way about Judaism. Like when they I see them like quote or tell tell a story yeah. and they'll just I'm like, Oh, like yeah, I, I forget we're part of the same religion basically. Yeah, <laughs> or where that we're all bifurcations. Yeah. But anyways, the metaphor is just supposed to be like, what if the whole universe um, is like God's backside, so to speak. Yeah. And maybe when we die, we get to see his, her, their face, you know? Yeah. Um, 
to see the essence of it all. And so I have definitely become more of a mystic in that way of just exploring mm-hmm. my faith from more of a, um, rather than directing it towards a thing, you know, it's, it's exactly just that general towards. mystery of the universe. Really? You know, yeah. you find that everywhere. I mean, something that's very beautiful about Islam that I think many Muslims forget is this concept of Tawheed, which is like oneness. I mean, that's like mm. always something that was very hammered into me as a kid when you're, you know, Muslim is like, we believe in one God, there's this one essence and, you know, it's just like this oneness that usually we just learn. I just interpret it as, okay, so that means like, there's no, like, obviously Muslims reject the idea that Jesus is the son of God. Okay. Got it. But actually there's interpretations that are like, well, if God is, this oneness is so profound, like nothing can really be separate mm. from God. Nothing he creates or nothing. I mean, I use he as just, this is natural evolution. Sure. Nothing God creates is separate from God. Yeah. And so I find that very compelling. And that's why I'm like, okay, like that makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. You know, it's so much it more really compassionate. Does. It's so much more like, I don't know. It just means that like also nothing can, even in perfection, nothing is like, I don't know, like especially just being a woman or queer or whatever. Like we're often told that like all these, all these things don't satisfy God for whatever reason. But I'm like, well, in some way it's part of God because it is created. If you believe it is created from God, then it is part of God and you can't really hate it, you know? Right. So I don't know if I think, yeah, that mysticism, like you're describing, I think that is very, I don't know. It's just, it's easier because it also holds nuance too. And like just this idea that you don't need to know everything. Whereas like, yeah, another thing we explored, like people who have constructions of religion or God, where God is just an accounter. Like God is just accounting all your sins, just a tally your mm-hmm. whole life of good or bad. I mean, that's just not, <laughs> it's, it doesn't really tell me any more about like why the world is the way it is, or just make me have any curiosity about people and relationships or like mystery at all, you know? Yeah. If anything, it just helps us divide each other more into our camps. Cause it's like, no, we believe in this thing. And our God says you'll die and go to this yeah. torture place. You know, it's always like the convenient thing, right? If you have the truth, it's always convenient that everybody else is going to hell. Whatever. Right. Whether yeah. you're Mormon. Exactly. Or <laughs> yeah. That's why, like one of the best classes I ever took was like on the book of Revelation. Um, it was like obviously all about liberation theology and like mm. various interpretations of this book and also how it is, you know, the book of the Bible. That also some far right Christians use to like justify like really hor- horrible things and um, but we talked about like one of the big things that professor was, you know, talking about was just like, yeah, sin is like, there was a time in, in the time of Christianity when sin was actually like much bigger, like the idea of like sin of the church or like the sin of like institutions or the sin of wealth and greed. And like, I always think that's also fascinating. Like at what point did we think that really sin is just about these super individualized taboos and mm-hmm. not like these bigger systemic injustices and i think islam it's like same thing because like there are people who have weaponized this faith that can you know oh yeah all faith you know yeah this in the the institutionalized version of this faith like demonize can demonize can be used to demonize people for these like various little transgressions quote-unquote transgressions instead of like 
the immoral immorality of like you know poverty or like systemic poverty like i see that sign on your wall systemic poverty is immoral like yeah that's the real sin right yes snap yeah i think that was the shift for me too once i was like writing about ferguson and realizing just like man i lived my whole life in this faith system where the biggest things that we were trying to save people right save them from it turned into like like secular music <laughs> with cuss words and, yeah. you know, pornography and, and these things that like, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, they, those are all whatever. That's that's what those folks want to, you know. But what's the bigger issue is yeah. probably the sex trafficking behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like maybe that's well, more, and that's why know. it's intentional. <laughs> it's intentional to distract you from the real issues. And that's where it's like right. I draw that line of like, no, someone's benefiting from you getting really mad at someone else's choices around, you know, like at least that's what we're or seeing close, right now. You know, wearing, you know, yeah, being modest and all the stuff. And it's like, what about the guys who are objectifying the women? I know. <laughs> what, no matter what they're wearing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, and, for sure. And that's a, that's a huge tension that I have, too. Because, like, obviously, if somebody chooses that, that's totally fine. And I feel at times, like, very empowered dressing modestly. But, yeah, when it makes it, when we're, yeah, you know what I'm saying. When yeah. we're, like, putting people up on the freaking, you know, just, yeah, indicting them based on a really... Right. Black and white reasoning around all that. It's your fault that sexism exists. No. It's yeah, not, exactly. Your clothes does not yeah. <laughs> constitute people. Yeah, exactly. Really. Yeah. So So the bigger man. sins are like, yeah, systemic, you know, issues of, yeah, yeah, patriarchy, racism. And so, and, but when you talk about those things, uh, you know, like I yeah, had a pastor who wanted to meet with me and like ask me questions about my thoughts on critical race theory. <laughs> Really? Like we, recently? Um, yeah, back when it was like real big in the news. Um, I mean, so like a year ago? Yeah, <laughs> more more or less, yeah, more a year ago. And, you know, I'm just kind of going through like anti-racism 101. Like, yeah, like the, everyone's making this big deal about this thing that was used for, it's for legal law. It's like yeah. not something that's being even taught in high schools. Basically, people are just using CRT as like a blanket thing to be like, we don't want to talk about historical racism in the U.S. That's basically people mm-hmm. are just trying to like tack that as the as conversation stoppers. And, you know, so then it became this whole like, you know, conversation about how, you know, as what's the role of the church? And so I'm like encouraging them like, hey, you should read, you know, have you read uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail where he's like calling out white pastors for like basically being like wait until it's the right time like and him and mlk basically like when is the right time like the sign you know white pastors this is the right time like there's never (laughs) it's always the right time to to cry and call out racism as and he's talking about how yeah basically these white pastors aren't showing up to you know yeah support the movement and so then the conversation i had with this pastor was like you know you know, I think the role of the church is to have these hard conversations about race and how do we build mm-hmm. wel- welcoming communities in our religious spaces. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, doesn't Jesus also save us from, like, lust? And, <laughs> you know, oh like, sh- what about those things? What about hell? And don't we need to talk about those things? And I'm like, okay, if that's, like, what you feel like is the thing you need to talk about, I'm not, like... 
it's that weird like I have the church speak, yeah. and I like even though I'm in my mind I'm like yeah I'm I have no I have no like like desire to talk about argue with you about hell or the existence no of, for sure of, it's of more like okay but these petty why sins. do you think it's one or the <laughs> other like why do you right think- it all comes down to like i'm like can you say and decry both that hey you know right if you feel like pornography is a big sin well but wouldn't you say racism's probably affecting more people <laughs> you know yeah like, and it's just i don't know that's that's so tough i mean like I have no I, I that's why I'm like man I think organizing faith communities is really hard like yeah, it, it is tough. really hard and like even though we need that it's like man it's tough <laughs> yeah it's like you know they're and like we're even hearing that now with like abortion in the sense of okay but can we just can we make let's make it about human rights and not about abortion because we're gonna upset people and it's like that's mm. actually praying playing more into the fragility of like yeah, if we're not, if your faith can't even name, like, and if you're, you know, if anything, like, those things like lust and, like, whatever, those personal matters right. are so, like, are so hard, are cutting so deep into people's lives, but you can't even talk about, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're truly trying to be a leader for people's, like, moral lives, like, that's really what these faith institutions are. And you can't even talk about the most pressing news of the day. Right. Because you're afraid of that conflict or like potentially having to challenge your worldview. Like you should not be in the business of leading people in their faith, which is the most personal thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. The, the research I was doing for the paper that I wrote in college, uh, just sorry. Just it's now that it's all coming back to my memory. Now it's all kind of like, Oh yeah. Part of the, thing i was studying was how faith communities or like the church christian church that i was studying particularly used to be like the center hub of small towns villages and it can be that way sometimes you know still to this day somewhat but i'm talking about like you know a thousand years ago you know i mean like there was no court system there was no yeah. You know, police system it, or whatever the systems that we have today for taxes and whatever. It was just like things are resolved through like if there was community issues, you went yeah. to the church, you went to the priest. Um, and there was a lot of authority there. Right. And so yeah. all those contentious issues were all decided there in like a communal kind of thing. And so basically with the globalization, with multimedia and just mm. really the dawn of like the industrial revolution, um, basically churches and pastoral figures became less and less voices of authority in their own communities. Right. People were like, well, I don't go solve my land dispute issue anymore yeah. with the pat- priest. But I go maybe to I the do court. my marriage there. Like maybe right. I do my, my kids, oh, my kids like education there. Like you get to pick and choose what issues matter to you when it comes to the faith. Right. And now they're competing today with like people like Joel Osteen, who has like hundreds of thousands of people who uh. watches church and do stuff. And so he's now a more authoritative figure because they see him as more of a right he has a big following successful right the perception um but my little local church you know i'm not gonna go yeah i I only i I guess i 
I want to go go back to that issue. I guess I just was bringing up an example of like where these churches, like you're saying, they're afraid to like speak out about these issues is because they really um, are afraid of losing more authority or, you know, cause it equates yeah. to them, people leaving the church and them losing their paycheck. Yeah. And that's, again, the whole thing is like, the whole thing is wrapped up in capitalism. And when it's like that, yeah. you can't have a, I, I can't say you can't have a totally hundred percent authentic community, but I think it, it really hinders creating an authentic faith community when you are basically at, at you're beholden to, and you're then, and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, on the flips, I like I, I have experienced that in a very different light in the sense of, um, like growing up in a mosque that was like very actually like heavily surveilled. Like you know, starting a mosque like definitely does immediately puts you under the watch of like yeah. the government, and so my dad had to like navigate that you know like getting questioned like why do you why are you making a mosque like who's gonna what kind of theologies like he was literally interviewed by people like he was asked like, questions yeah. in the fbi or yeah like, yeah oh my gosh, gosh, gosh yeah. like <laughs> that's to even talk about it but it is true that that happened and oh my gosh you know and then being on the spotlight of the community because our, our mosque was actually burned down like in a hate crime in like 2012 2012 and so, oh, Layla, I'm yeah, sorry. God. I mean, yeah, it's pretty bad. The thing is, like, our community was, you know, it was mostly doctors and like it got a lot of attention. So we were able to build a new space that was even better and more fitting. That being said, like, yeah, that was a very like shocking thing to happen on top of like, you know, the perpetrator didn't even though there's video cameras like didn't get caught until he actually attempted to burn down the Planned Parenthood in Joplin and then was caught so but in the meantime the FBI had is like asking questions in our community and so I just in that experience led to like nobody wanting to speak out really like wanting to do this basically assembly even harder like we are upstanding citizens we are doctors we are Cause you know, we are, we like contribute to the community. We have, we don't ruffle feathers. And so they don't want to take a political stance. I mean, there's even still like, right. I mean, I think there's even like a state, like my statements of like from our mosque would like make statements of like, we're, we denounce terrorism. And it's like, but even you taking that step to denounce it means that you think that you, you're playing into it. You know what I mean? Like you should Mm. actually be like, it's not our job to denounce terrorism do you ask the churches to denounce white supremacy like do you ask them to denounce mass shootings when like when perpetrators you know say that they do that in the name of christianity no like the media immediately is like no that's like that's not really what christians think but with muslims you think we a community that had nothing to do with it needs to be answerable so i just mean like there's also this quietness but i think it's like I've noticed that that's in survival. our mosque. That's yeah, that's survival. survival but There's a I difference s- from like a white church who has, again, it's a perceived like, hey, I can't speak about abortion or these things because I'll lose congregations. It's coming from losing a place of authority that Right, have, right, exactly. But when you're fighting just to have a foothold in the community of just like existing. Not, yeah, like not just existing. have a <laughs> bigger target on your back. Yeah. That being said, though, like I totally agree. And yeah, I feel the need to be like, and you know what, y'all, like, I mean, like I said, in Joplin, it is mostly doctors or like not, not everyone's a doctor. So 
for me, I'm like, you know, we need to also, it's like a class thing too, in the sense of like, they don't want to lose their standing in the community. And like, in some way you have to make a choice. And for some, some of these congregants, it's very difficult for them to imagine like putting their face, you know what I mean? Like, and that's why it's like the idea of like larger numbers. I think that's why I'm interested in organizing. Cause I'm like, man, I've been in so many situations where one person's like, I'm afraid to speak out. But I'm like, but if we all did it together, there's not necessarily one name that's attached, you know? Right. The entire Muslim community spoke out about this, like a faith structure, a school structure, you know, all the students or like the school structure, whatever structure speaks out about this, it's it's less risk, right? Like we have to assume that collective risk of speaking on these things or doing taking action on these things. So I don't know, it's kind of a ramble again but yeah i feel that in the sense of like it's it's equally been frustrating and i think that makes you lose faith in your faith institutions Mm. when you watch them be spineless like that right because i'm even like you know we don't speak out and we're gonna get a target on our back or we do speak out and at least i know you're standing behind me like you know you have my back right and that's that's the thing and especially in times like this like there's so much going on like how can you ignore it and we still have like you know, there's still sheikhs at the mosque who are talking about like the proper way to pray. And I'm like, why are we talking about what happened in the news? You know? So it's like, yeah, it's survival. And I'm also like, okay, it's time to get with it. Like we need, you know, the collapse societies upon us. Like, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Gosh. Thanks for sharing all that. I know that's like heavy stuff, just what your family and community went through. And, and it's oh, just, yeah. It's it's one of those things where I'm sure I don't know how how old were you when like nine eleven yeah, happened? Yeah. I mean I was like six, so I still felt it. I mean five or six. Um my I don't have as like strong of a like I don't have this memory of it being on the T V but I remember like things changing at school. But for me it was like my whole school time was mm-hmm. experiencing that. Whereas my sister like remembers the day, you know, like remembers mm-hmm. like that day someone in class being like your people did this to her like because i don't know why they had it on the you know i think a lot of teachers made this mistake though how could you have not put it on the tv (laughs) but like she remembers that and i remember that though not the same day obviously but like yeah like after 9-11 it was pretty bad and i just remember the straight up propaganda at school around all that and then obviously yeah it didn't get better yeah, it doesn't necessarily get back. I think it got like kind of worse under when Obama was president, to be honest. Right. And then, yeah, I don't know. But like I said, I mean. During the, the drone wars. Yeah. yeah like he, he killed lots, lots of collateral. Damage. I know, like, which like, is what was so shocking for us to like people being like, there's a Muslim as president. And we're like. I wish because I mean our people are dying right yeah, now. He's like over there killing them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like that's so it was just so bizarre. But yeah, I mean, it was tough. I don't, I don't would not raise my kids in Joplin, Missouri. <laughs> but at least I ended up on the other side of it with like, I think pretty strong and confident in what I think, yeah, and believe and want to organize around. You know. Yeah, it sounds like it influenced. Like, I mean, I'm sure, like you were saying, like, okay, especially when Trump came to presidency and there was all these hate crimes happening in mosques and different places. Like, yeah. 
okay, I've, we've seen this. Yeah. <laughs> it's been happening. It's been cultivating. We need to organize the fuck yeah. out of communities yeah. to try to address stuff because I know, it doesn't I th- just go away with more education. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's I not- think that was always very, like when the Muslim bans happened, I feel like that was actually the first time Muslims, at least in my memory in America, like were actually like, no, this is really wrong. And we're like mobilized in force in like full force around that and i think that really was eye-opening to me because i just didn't think that was ever going to happen you know we just spent so long after 9-11 in this apologetic phase like you know it was very bizarre watching that just like really everyone feeling like and that's why i even have this skepticism around interfaith stuff because it was all Mm. about doing interfaith stuff it still kind of is like Muslims do interfaith stuff to seem like a good neighbor. Like they're not threatening. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm like, no, I feel like we need to be talking within our community about like what it means to show up for each other, you know? Right. Instead we feel like we need to prove that we're a good neighbor by showing, not that we shouldn't be showing up for our Christian and Jewish and Baha'i and Buddhist neighbors or anything like that. But it's just like, we are not at the point of, supporting one another super well in this way you know what i mean right if anything it should be christians having to go yeah. <laughs> to all these other faith groups to prove their good faith yeah i mean <laughs> and, and welcomeness to other communities like you know yeah yeah i've never thought about it that way yeah i've been on i've seen like these panels and we you know spiritual community as a part of they'd have interfaith panel and and again it wasn't really in response to like stuff happening in the but it was just like Literally a whole faith discussion of like, who is my faith neighbor? And <clears throat> um, I always wondered like, you know, did they steal, you know, Christians to go? <laughs> go yeah. Like, you know, not just because I don't know. Like, I think everyone should be able to hold what's true for them. And yeah, again, the whole, you know, Muslims shouldn't have to change their faith constructs to fit into the american yeah. culture society and yeah and yet and that's the whole thing like a lot of christians would say that they're being they're the minority now and we're letting all these other faiths and people and all this stuff and it's like you're the dominant religion i mean look at what they just did with roe v wade you know yeah. that was like that's 50 years of christians you know folks i mean that was what i was raised being taught yeah. like this is the fight for the church you know we're yeah. trying to stop this from happening no, and I mean, that's like, yeah, Christianity is extremely dominant in our country. And I think, again, like going back to like why I wanted to study religion, because I'm like, that's a more that informs like so much of our the way our institutions are set up, the way people live in their communities, you know, more than just like the structure of government. You know, like we're taught this story that like, oh, yeah, then, then the founders like separated church and state and there was nothing to do with Christianity. It's like, eh. They had some like pretty like, you know, Christian supremacist ideas. And so we have to talk about that. It still affects us today. So, yeah, I mean, they, I just, I just don't see if obviously like all the things about Supreme Court, you know, no, no, if it should really exist or like, I don't have generated thoughts around that, but like, I just do not think, I don't think in my lifetime we may see a Muslim on the Supreme Court. Mm. Like that would just create, that would just be, and why is that? Because people don't think, right. you know? Yeah, just having whatever. Like not the, a Christian person like on the Supreme Court would be just a shocker for a lot of Americans. That tells you how like deeply 
like you said, they think of the Constitution as scripture. Like, oh, it's very scary. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of work cut out for us. And well, what about you, Mike? I mean, do you still identify as a Christian? Do you go to church, or do you have more of just like a personal relationship? You know, I um, don't really don't like labels. <laughs> don't like labels. I'm just spiritual, <laughs> <laughs> like all the millennials these days. Um, yeah, I don't consider myself a. Um, uh, Christian in the definition of like this is like the only faith construct that I um, abide by. Um, I think there are powerful, there's a powerful story. It's okay. Oh my gosh. I was trying to get my microphone. I know these headphones. Yeah. (laughs) Busting on microphones. Um, Yeah. For me, I still deeply connect with Christ and I connect with the story, the stories in the Bible. And there's, um, yet just this really weird feeling when you back out the camera and you look at the history of humanity as a whole, that it's hard mm-hmm. for me to just be like any one religion is the right one. Oh, okay. Of, look, you can be a Christian and be a pluralist. It's not like, right. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess for me, um, there's so much baggage that comes with being saying to people like I am a Bible believing Christian like there's just so much that's tied up with white supremacy and and just and so much that um I don't identify with the current state of Christianity at all like mm, <laughs> the church yeah. and the buildings and the structures and um like I said I was part of a, a more universalist Christian church called the Open Table for a long while kind of fell off during the pandemic and just kind of started enjoying my at home church on Sundays with myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. I'm trying to like, it's hard for me. I feel very insecure that I don't also like have like this faith community because I think for Muslims, it's so important. And yet, yeah, ultimately the faith is in you like a hundred. And I believe that. So I have to like not use like, it's hard for me to not use like, oh, well, I don't even really have like a community. I don't know how deeply I believe in this construct even as an excuse to kind of not do my own internal work because I crave it, but I don't want to do it. It's kind of easier when it's like with a group of people. Yeah, I don't know. It's just hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is an element of <clears throat> community that is lost when you do go through a faith deconstruction, reconstruction, like whether if you're Muslim, whatever, whatever the, Hey, this is what I grew up with. And now I'm recalibrating and trying to find those, that group of people. And that's why they say a lot of people who have quote unquote fallen away from their faiths or childhood faiths or whatever are actually like deeply longing to like find those spiritual communities of some sort. Again, they're just wayward and lost because they feel like, Oh, if I show up to this place, you know, they might reject me or I, they're not, mm-hmm. Or, yeah, they don't have the same values that I have of, like, welcoming LGBTQ people. Like, there's so many things that you have to, like, sift through to find, especially if you live in the in Missouri, in the yeah. Midwest. You know, you're it's difficult. Yeah, but some people, like, they love that. They love that. I'm shopping for a church. <laughs> Gross. I feel that. I feel like I hear Back that. Back to I'm the like, capitalism part yeah, of it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, shopping. there's so many choices. Like, like, you have to win me over with these perks or, like, yeah. But yeah, what you were saying is like, yeah. And I have friends who like go to house churches and like, like,
I've thought about like maybe some point doing something like that again. But again, like for me, I'm just like, like to me, this is church. And yeah. when I hang out with friends, we have these very same conversations. And it, to me, that is like having church together. And yeah, man, you just gotta like listen to that Sufjan Stevens album. Yeah, like and seriously, like, be in your fields with your like pet and Rayla. <laughs> and yeah, I think I like even for me, like you know, those things are meaningful. So I think anything that really just enriches your that existential thing we talked about yes. at the beginning, that like desire to really just connect, just feel connected, I think is important. Whatever connects you with people and the environment, that's why I tell them like whatever yeah. connects you with this world and people. And has a love and appreciation that you'll advocate and fight for the lives of those people and for the environment. That 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 is a solid church, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like that can be church. Yeah, um, I think like you know, I remember having a moment with my dad. The, probably the most instructive thing he ever did for me, because it's I think it's very hard to raise Muslim children. You, at least like for my parents, like not having a mosque, not having that teacher right. you know having to teach them quran and how to pray and like i just think they got tired and like kind of gave up even <laughs> though they felt very strongly they were like uh, this is too much yeah. um i just remember telling my dad once because he asked me to speak at the sunday school graduation and i was like you know 15 or 16 i was like yeah i just i'm not a really good muslim though like why me and he was like i mean whatever we think about the idea of citizens like but you're a good citizen and you like are a good human and that's why you're a good muslim i was like oh Mm. dad that's so nice see and that's like yeah like being able to challenge the rigidity of what we define as these camps like yeah i tell people all the time like i feel like i'm a better christian now than i was all the years i claimed to be a christian (laughs) you know what i mean like in, in many ways now i feel like i'm more like christ than i've ever been um, wow everyone hear that micah thinks he is like i christ. am the christ <laughs> actually here's our robes uh everybody <laughs> uh, his beard needs to be like drink my blood longer. eat my flesh oh you know? god <laughs> all right everyone when, you, when i disappear after this recording just know it's because i sacrificed her to my dog and cat you know okay <laughs> but like yeah, like to be able to, you know, I think for me, like a lot of times, like, yeah, like people in my life who knew me before and just, you know, to them, I've fallen away from God and I'm like mm. on this sinner's path. And um, again, that's their definition. That's how they're trying to, um, you know. And I, I've, 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 I did it too, you know, like people who didn't go to church and I just be like, man, it's so, so unfortunate that those people just gave up yeah. on God. No one, ge- like th- these people. Yeah, didn't... How is that for you to decide what if they didn't give up on God at exactly. all? They just stop, you know, participating in this business. <laughs> I've shared this, I think before on the podcast, but one of my friends, Lois Swimmer, she um, is a volunteer activist person at Cherith Brook Catholic Worker House. She's Lakota tribe, um, Native American, and she just talks about how foreign this idea of like, you know, Americans and American Christianity being like, you can either be in with God or outside of God. You're either in that or out of it. And she was just like, we don't have that concept (laughs) in my faith. Like I wake up and I'm, I'm in God. I'm breathing. I'm a part of God. Like I can't decide 
that I'm in or out of this relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just existing in this world that is all of it is in God. And that's what I'm, that's what I mean by like the pan and, you know, yeah. just like this, the worldview that I have now is just like, okay. Well, and like, yeah, I don't know if it's the same. Like I, I have anytime I felt insecure people, have, you know, there's like a saying that like you take at least amongst Muslims. I don't know. Like you take one step towards God and God takes 10 steps towards you. And it doesn't matter where that, it doesn't have to happen in a masjid, like a mosque. It doesn't have to happen in the confines of like, you know? Right. And only you can determine what is in your intention or in your heart, you know? Yeah, that's why I have to like encourage family or friends or people from my church background who are concerned for my soul. I have to just reassure them like, I need you to trust that like, I'm I'm a seeker of truth. You know, like I want to mm. live out life to the best I can trying to seek out that truth and like I need you to trust that if the divine God the spirit whatever is the truth then my roundabout curvy zigzaggy path whatever it is yeah it's gonna lead me right back to them you know good point people want a straightforward they have a straightforward answer and then they get stressed out when you kind of disrupt that you know Oh yeah, it's just uh, it's just simpler, right? Like, I go to church on Sundays, I read the Bible, and I go to work, and I tell mm-hmm. my f- friends and family, yeah, <laughs> these things, and 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 that's why that's actually actually what you're bringing up for me is like there's this weird tension where like on the one hand, I reject this like super individualized view of faith that's like feels very like you know like in the as a result of capitalism or just like whatever that like your individual accounting but actually when you think about it like we should encourage people like your faith is that's what i mean it's like in you only you can know it and so no one else can be a judge of it and in some way it's like yes we need i believe in communities of care and like the strong like you know social movements and all of that but when it comes to yeah like is micah's soul saved that has nothing to do with you you know and right. that's where it's like all these things are actually about appearance in some way are actually just about everyone becoming a judge of each other instead of it's just, a form of control. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like social, yeah, right. Social control. And instead of like, actually we need to move towards like, you know, your faith is interior. Like in some way you can experience it socially. You can experience it in relationship with others. But at the end of the day, it's you and your like faith, you know, it's not, anyone else's to like dictate so i think that's that weird tension in the sense of yeah like i already said so yeah in many ways and i i don't necessarily i'm not a huge like aa advocate yeah (laughs) i mean again it has a lot of positive things for alcoholic community but something that i do appreciate about it from friends who are in it in the program Because it was started by a Christian, but it has obviously evolved since that point and has become more of, yeah, uh, an agnostic or neutral kind of system. But, you know, the whole first step is, like, acknowledging that you have a problem and, like, basically you need a power outside of yourself to, like, break this, like, cycle you're in. And in many ways, I feel like if every faith construct and everything, you know, could 
not take a similar, not the same approach of like everyone's broken or has a problem, but in many ways the we're ego. human. Yeah. He's breaking down ego. Yeah. It's like, Hey, there's something that <laughs> you don't have the answer actually. Exactly. You don't know the right way to live. And it may be God, but they even say like, it could be the power of love for your family. It could be the power of like, whatever that divine, whatever that power is to you, mm-hmm. that's going to help you overcome this addiction. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a leap of faith is what I mean. Like you yes. don't know if you don't actually know if that thing is going to be the thing, but you're having faith that like actually the power, the, my, the power of my family's love is something that would help me overcome this. Like that is, right. you know, uh, maybe like Kierkegaard said that or something, but I just think that's very fascinating. Like people do those like faith moves all the time of like, yes, having a belief in that something that I don't know how it works. I don't know why, but I just trust it. You have a non-Christian who's closer to Christ or closer yeah. whatever than the ever because they may not even say, hey, it's Jesus who's going to save you from alcoholism. But it's this, like you're saying, this choosing to acknowledge that the ego is crushing me. Yeah, like I <laughs> and have it's to. removing me from connection with people. It's feeding my addictions. Yeah. And so I need something outside of myself within, you know, that's going to influence within myself. Yeah, no, I, 100%. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I mean, that's why like, you know, in organizing, like we talk about this idea of prophetic imagination, this like, Ooh, I, tell me more about yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I don't fully know the concept, but I'm just like this idea, like, even if we're not sure, we have to project this image that like we are powerful, like mm. this movement or this whatever is so powerful and has the answer to the society's woes like this moral authority or this in this amount, like, you know, just, and, and people yes. believe it for some reason, whether it's because of your messaging of hope, the people who are involved, their stories or like the way you take action. There's just this. And, and whatever this group's like imagination for the future is like, you believe it, you know? And that's like also kind of a, a work of faith in my opinion. Like we don't know if, you know, I'm sure like people thought that like when they saw like the civil rights movement, we don't know why, like, mm. we don't know if this is actually going to, you don't fully know, but there's something that gave you your trust and they have this imagination for a beloved community or community where yes. X, Y, and Z happens and, and you believe it and it creates a change of heart. Like, I don't know. I think those, mo- we can do those moves those like faith maneuvers all the time for the better, betterment of society. That's why like, I don't think you can ever, at least for me, I think I can fully lose my faith because I see the way this same process, like we were describing, like mm. makes people better, you know? Yeah. And then at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's, it's both. And it's, it's us, but it's us in relation to community. And we have to do that in movements, spiritual work, individual work. If I just work on myself and cut myself off from everybody and lived in a cabin in the woods, you know, uh, I, again, my love for myself will probably become this weird distortion, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's all, uh, yeah. And I'm not saying like spending time with yourself and working on yourself is, is a bad thing. I'm just saying that, that it's a stream that we're, we're all a part of and trying mm-hmm. to deny that. Yeah. Our love becomes a distortion. And I think the problem with people who are extremists on, you know, the 
you know, whatever conservative right is like, it's trying to make it's this world where their strength comes from isolation of like, these people are not a part of this thing. Oh yeah. And their strength is trying to build up. And so our strength is in our belief that we, we need each other. Yeah. That we're only going to be able to, we're only going to be able to. Even those people are hurting themselves. Like they don't even realize, like I'm not saying I have to bend over backwards for them, but (laughs) you know, like it's not my job to convert someone against radical white supremacy, but I do think, some part of them is denying their own humanity, you know? Oh, for like, sure. And what are the stepping zones before people get there, right? It's yeah. usually like, yeah, I, I can't, yeah. There's, there's no one mold fits all kind of thing, yeah. but like, they do it becomes a distortion this, of love towards yeah. yourself and others. It's this, I, I need, it's this, I, I know what I'm, I'm, I stand against rather than what I stand for kind of mentality. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're that person, he's like, I'm against Jews and this and that. And, that your whole love, your whole identity and self love is is a is a distorted. It's a it's a mutated existence. Yeah. And no, I definitely, yeah, yeah. That was and me also, rambling. No, I get it. <laughs> but I'm also like, and then ascribing like this is a conspiracy, like ascribing more power than is possible to those groups, and so like all their woes are like mm-hmm. ascribed to like all these other groups of like you know like you know trans people or Jewish people or Muslim people are destroying everything and I'm a victim and I'm, you know, like, right. I don't know. It's some, some, like some level of, yeah, distortion of like what their relation is to like other people. Right. To. As perceived. Yeah. You know, people stealing their power and their yeah. connection with the world. And it's like, mm. yeah, people, politics and everything they're, they're doing a really good job keeping us divided. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's. But we're more powerful than them, and I mean, there's the yeah. society is like rigged to give them such a platform, when really they're in a minority. I think, like genuinely, but it's. Yeah, you, even your Republican people—they're not out here like, I hate everybody who is not a Republican. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like reasonable person, who maybe just has their own political. You right. know, like at the end of the day, they. You but know, the system gave those people like they just have more power than they need. Like Jerry, oh, we go all the systems like mm-hmm. it's just so rigged, and then they think they think they're more important than they are. Mm. <laughs> yeah, if there's stronger one numbers like than than it is, and that's very frustrating. So it's like less than like even the people who believe. It's like oh my gosh, but these rules are not working. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. That's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Yep, we have to share this world, and yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> and there's enough space for all of us, and there's enough resources. Well, tell me, Layla, where can folks find you online? Oh my gosh, um, or you can throw out organizations you volunteer oh, with, well, and like, you know, are there any websites, honorable mentions you like? Okay, to I love to honorable mention Sunrise Movement, and we didn't really talk about it super in depth, but Sunrise Movement, uh, Kansas City is a chapter of the National Sunrise Movement, and we are young people fighting for a Green New Deal and to, you know, they say stop the climate crisis. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but stop the worst effects of it um, through some like really awesome local work that we're doing in Kansas City. I mean, obviously we want a Green New Deal nationally, but locally we're really trying to get, um, you know, Micah, we live down the street from a coal plant. Yeah. 
And so like trying to really change your energy systems here, not just for the sake of the planet, but for the benefit of the community, you know? Mm. Um, sorry. Yeah. It's, I highly recommend y'all support Sunrise, MVMTKC at Instagram, or you can find me on Instagram. It's my handle is L-A-E-L-Z underscore. So, yeah. Famous Layla, everybody. Famous. <laughs> the star of the Famous. show. Yeah. Until next time. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining me for the Pray for Micah podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review. And check out my YouTube channel and follow me on social media. Pray for Micah Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll see you next time. You are now re-entering the normal world.